Bibles, but go ahead and put your flip over to Psalms 39. Um, I told Wendy yesterday that she came up to the house and I said, uh, after being in quarantine for two weeks and not getting the fellowship with you last week, I hope you packed your lunch. I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm, 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 I'll preach as long as I have to. Uh, to get all this out. I'm just kidding, sort of. So, um, I don't know how long it'll take, so I don't want to tell you for sure, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, truthfully, in all seriousness, I did have some time. Normally, I stay moving, but um, I had some time to sit and to think and to read and to pray and to study a lot more than usual. And um, I did read a lot in the book of Psalms, and I came across Psalms 39. Um, which I, I kept going back to reread it again. And so we'll read that this morning. But it moved my heart in a way that made me think about this message today. And it's not a new message. It's a message that we've heard before. And it's one that I think is good for us to be reminded of. Um, it's kind of one of those thoughts that you have to intentionally ever so often take it from the back of your mind and move it to the front. So that we're constantly aware and living in light of the truth that the scripture gives us. And so if you're there in Psalms 39, let's just read verses 4 through 7. It says this, it says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. That I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadth. A handbreadth is just... How they used to measure things, it was the width of your hand. He said, you made my days as handbreadths, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Amen? Amen. In these few verses, David is meditating on the truth of the shortness and the vanity of life. He asks the Lord to help him, right, to live in this reality that his days are numbered and that his life is going to come to an end. And I kind of envision it almost like he's preaching to himself this truth. Right? He's, he's preaching to himself that his age means nothing. That means whether you're young or old or a teenager or, or in your 80s or 90s, it's irrelevant. Age is nothing to the Lord. He's preaching that truth to himself that at his best state, even if he lived 100 years, 110 years, that it's just a vapor. It's just a moment. It's a hand breath. He's preaching those things to himself that his life is a shadow. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you ever preach to yourself? Do you ever stop and, and, and really preach the truth to yourself? I think every believer needs to preach to themselves sometimes. I, I preach to myself all the time. When I have a thought that comes into my mind, maybe a thought that I know doesn't please the Lord, I have to preach the scripture to myself, I remind myself, I say, I'm responsible to bring every thought into captivity, into Christ. I have to go back, that's 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, by the way, you've got to go back and 
remind yourself and preach those truths to yourself. When I'm getting frustrated with someone or when something's getting on my nerves, I remind myself that the Lord has told me that I must forbear and forgive. Right? I have to preach that truth to myself when I get frustrated. This is why it's important for us as believers to commit the Word of God into our hearts so that we can in those moments when we need the Word of God, we don't have to wait till Sunday to be fed. We can preach to ourselves all through the week. It's what David was doing here. He was preaching to himself. And it's what he does in so many of the Psalms. They're written as songs. He would sing these truths to himself and he would preach these things and remind himself of what he knew in his heart. And so here we see David's heart is on the fact that his days are numbered. And he goes on in his own sermon to say to himself that he realizes that people busy themselves in vain. They heap up riches and they don't even know who will get them. In other words, he was reminding himself that he brought nothing into this world and he can carry nothing out of it. Amen? I have to preach that truth to myself sometimes. When my heart begins to desire things that are of no profit, when I get discontent with the blessings that God has already given me, right? I have to begin to preach that truth, right? When I get my mind focused on money or possessions or stuff instead of on eternity, when my eyes begin to look with envy at what my neighbor has or this person has, when my heart begins to lust for things in this world, I have to preach the truth to myself. I always go back to 1 Timothy 6 in that regard, and I preach godliness with contentment is great gain. I've preached that sermon to me many times. I brought nothing into the world. I can take nothing out. If I have food and clothing, I should be content. If I should find myself desiring to be rich, I know I could fall into temptation and a snare and into hurtful and foolish and harmful lust which have drowned other men in destruction. For I must be reminded that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I don't want to be one of them. Amen? Amen. Let me get back on track. Reading, reading this psalm made me begin to think about this message. And we need to realize this morning that what David said is true. Our days are numbered. Our time is short. At best, our life is just a vapor. It's frail. Old or young, age is nothing. Could be a car accident. Could be cancer could be some sickness that comes along. Could be a heart attack or a stroke or a natural disaster, a tornado, a flood. It could be any number of things. An accident at work. I, I knew a lady that we used to go to church with years ago. She got out of her car one day and slipped and fell and hit her head on a little rock and died. It could be in any number of ways. But it's coming. It's coming. And it's good for us. It's healthy for us to ask the Lord the same thing David asked for. To know our end. Amen? Because how quickly we forget it. It's also good to know what comes next. 
And this is where my mind begins to, to go as I thought about what the Lord would have me to bring. Hebrews 9, 27. It's the scripture we quote all the time. It's once appointed, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The judgment. You see, we've got to be reminded, that's that thought that we've got to take from the back of our mind to the front sometimes, that we are going to stand in judgment. I believe Brother Joel last week as I was watching the service, I believe he quoted Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of man, right? But there's another verse that comes after verse 13. If that's not the final verse, there's one more. Listen at it when you read it together. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. This is all their duty. But listen, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, Solomon understood that we must fear God and keep His commandments, but he didn't just leave us with that. He told us the why. Why is that important? Because this day is coming. It's coming. And I wonder, guys, if we're living our life in light of the judgment. Are we truly living our life in light of it? Knowing that we're going to stand before the great judge who sees the deeds, even the secrets of the hearts of men. This is no ordinary judge. This is no ordinary judge. This is the living God, the one who has numbered our days, the one that sees all. This is the same God, thankfully, that in His great love has sent His only begotten Son into the world, not to condemn it, but that the world through Him may be saved. Amen? This is the same God who now calls all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. Maybe if you will, we're gonna, we'll probably read this scripture twice today. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's, let me just read a couple verses to you there. Listen to how the New, the New Testament Christians viewed the judgment. The early church, listen to what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Listen how Paul goes on to describe it. He said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Does it terrify you a little? We persuade men, but are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciousnesses. The New Testament church, the early church, the apostles were fully persuaded about a coming judgment that was to come because they knew the truth and because they knew it was coming, they made it their aim, their goal, their mission to live lives that were well-pleasing to God. And because they knew the terror of the Lord, they sought to persuade men to believe the gospel. 
They made that a part of their aim. Let's go back and read or think about what we heard David preaching to himself. It's a certain fact we must all die. Amen? How many of you agree that you're going to die? Amen? If you don't know it, you're fooling yourself. Right? But listen to what Paul said when he stood before Felix. Paul was saying to Felix these same things. He said this in Acts 24. He said, Felix, I have hope in God, which they themselves, talking about the Jews, also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Both of the just and the unjust. Both are going to rise. Amen? This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Is that the way we're living our lives? I want to be clear this morning with all that are listening, all that's here, and maybe those that will listen later on down the road. There are unique judgments that will take place. And I want to show you the two that I want to focus on this morning. And I want you to be prepared because I want you to know the truth. And you may say, well, it's, this is an awful small group of people to preach this kind of message to. It's fine. This is exactly what God wanted. First, I want to speak to those who maybe are not saved. They're not a Christian this morning. You need to hear about this judgment because you're going to stand in this courtroom on this great and terrible day and if you don't turn from sin and you don't turn to Christ, you are going to be found guilty on this day. But today, God has given you time to avoid this judgment. This judgment can be avoided today is the day of salvation today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. For if you'll heed His call, if you listen to His voice, you can escape this courtroom that I'm going to read to you about. You can escape this judgment. Just look with me now in Revelation chapter 20. As I read to you this final judgment that is to take place, I'm speaking now to unbelievers. But it's good for us believers to hear because I'm speaking about your family and your friends and your neighbors and your kids and your grandkids and all kinds of other people that you need to be reminded this day is coming for them. That way you'll set it in your heart to get busy trying to win them over to Christ. Amen? Listen to what he says in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it Listen, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. 
Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What we just read is the final judgment. The last judgment for those who refuse the truth. For those who have rejected Christ. For those who turned away from the truth. For those who love their sin and refuse to repent and believe. And I want you to see the scene that John the Revelator sees when he looks. And he sees that the earth and heaven and it's all just fading away. It's just, it's just dissolving in the presence of this judge who sits on this throne. Everything fled away. And the scripture says the great, even the great, you know what that means? The mighty men and the kings and the rulers and the politicians and those in authority, all these that the world considers highly esteemed and very important, Men and women of renown, men who are rich and powerful, these, these are numbered here in this great multitude of people, this sea of people before this throne. And that should tell you something. You cannot buy your way out of this appointment. You cannot talk your way out of it. You cannot lie your way out of it. You can't trade on it or negotiate terms. There's no influence, no authority that any man has in this place. What you were in this life, your title and all the things you possess are meaningless before this throne. I mean nothing. Here before this throne, everyone's on equal ground. Amen? You see the great there, but you know what you also saw? He said the great and the small. And I began to think about that, and I thought these are the ones that the world did not know, that most people would never recognize. Just someone's neighbor, just that poor man or woman that lived down the street, just those people that never did have much and that not, most people never knew. They didn't really have any status in this life. They didn't have much in the way of finer things. But there's also a great multitude of them there. Being poor doesn't make you a Christian. And as this multitude of people, this great throng of people gathered around this throne, both great and small, as they stand there, books are brought forth. These books are brought forth and laid before the judge. And as the judge calls each name, they come forth. There's no option. You come forth and the book is opened. Your book. It's opened. And everything that's been done in this life is recorded in the book. And they're judged according to the things that are written there. Even the deepest secrets are pinned down in this book. And each 
person is confronted with the truth that we read in Romans chapter 3. Do you know what that truth is? This is what Romans 3 says. That all the world has become guilty before God. And that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of this God. That their works are like filthy rags before this holy judge. And they produce nothing worthy to be boasted in. They have no defense, no advocate. They're just guilty. One last book is opened, and it's the greatest of all the books. It's the book of life. And in it are written the names of every true born-again follower of Jesus Christ. The names that are written in this book are given entrance to the kingdom Because they believed in the salvation of the Lord. They believed the truth that Christ took their wrath on His cross. And their only boast is the blood of Christ. And so their names are written in this book. And the great judge will open the book and check for their name. But those that are gathered around this throne, their names are not written in this book. And they'll spend the eternal ages to come in torment, in outer darkness. They'll weep and wail and grind their teeth. And the only way to get your name in that important book is not to neglect so great a salvation. It's to trust in Christ completely. It's to deny yourself and to pick up your cross and follow Him. It's to be born again, to have the Spirit of God. And those people that have their names in that book, they won't be blotted out. But I'll tell you this, when you compare the numbers, few will be that walk through that narrow gate. What I want every person to consider is, is your name really written in that book? Is Christ's blood truly the covering for your sin? Is His finished work your only boast? If you don't have Him today, you've got to have Him. Your days are numbered. This judgment is coming. I mean, it's hot after you. You say, well, what must I do? Here's what you must do. I just want to be plain and clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Call upon Him for mercy. Ask Him to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. Confess that you need salvation. Confess that. Confess that your only hope is in the Lord. By faith, believe that His blood satisfies God's wrath towards your sin. 
That He took your sins upon Himself and trust that God's wrath is satisfied in that. That the death He died, He died for you. You. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and the Scripture says, Thou shalt be saved. Amen? Now listen, the evidence of that will be a changed life. You'll die to yourself and there's no exceptions to that rule. No exceptions. You'll lay down your life. You'll pick up your cross. You will follow Him. You will come out from among the world and be a separate people. These aren't things that God suggests to Christians. These are evidences of Christians. You'll bear the fruit of the Spirit because if the Spirit's in you, you can't help but bear it. The true evidence of a believer is not sinless perfection. It's a deep love for the Savior that causes them to want to be obedient, to desire Him above everything else. It's a life lived in faith. It's a Spirit-led life. And for those of you that have been saved that way, you'll escape this judgment. This judgment is not for you. Your name is written in the book not by your works, but by the grace of God. But there remains a judgment yet for you too. Now we should all just, just be so thankful. Our hearts should be so... As I read those scriptures this morning, as I thought on that awful judgment on that day, that great and terrible day of the Lord, when I thought about the sea of people that stand before that throne with no covering for their sin and no hope, I am so thankful that God called me out of my sin and picked me up out of that pit and gave me life. And we should be so grateful for that church. I mean, that should be enough, more than enough, no matter what happens. That should be enough to cause you to praise God endlessly throughout the ages. The fact that I don't have to be there is more than enough for me to praise the Lord this morning. It's more than enough for me to be thankful. I praise the God of redemption. I praise the God whose blood covers me and I don't have to face that day. But I have a judgment that's coming for me too. Remember I told you we'd read this scripture twice, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to go back there, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, and particularly verse 10. He says, We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. But listen, we must all, that includes us as believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive, this is the judgment of receiving, receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. That early church was fully persuaded. And they wanted to live lives well-pleasing to the Lord in light of this judgment. 
They wanted to, listen, they wanted to please God. They loved God. They wanted to glorify God. And, and I don't think this is wrong, they wanted a good reward. Amen. The early church lived with this judgment in mind. And they understood it's important. Now this judgment is altogether different than the other. This is the judgment for true born again believers. And only true born again believers take part in this judgment. Only them. There's no unbelievers here. Only true believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And at this judgment, believers aren't judged as to whether they'll enter the kingdom. That has been sealed by the Spirit. That, that is finished and settled. And you need to know that this morning. This isn't when God decides if He lets Christians in. We have been granted access to the kingdom by Christ. We all that are born again get to enter the kingdom because of Christ. And you say, and I know, I trust me, I see it, and I know it. Multitudes upon multitudes of professing Christians would say, well, that's all that matters, I make it in. It's all that matters. But that's not what God says. This is not what God says. This is not what God teaches us. Yes, we should rejoice that by the blood of Jesus we've become heirs and joint heirs with Christ, that we are children of God. Yes, we should rejoice in those things, but not forgetting that God has set up a time when He's going to judge the works of believers. He's going to look at the lives we've lived as Christians. This isn't a judgment about your sins. Your sins are forgiven. This is a judgment of your works for rewards. We know the scripture says that those who believe, there is therefore now no condemnation in, in, in Christ Jesus. Our sins are, are washed away. This isn't a sin judgment. This is a works judgment for reward. Listen at Revelation 22. He said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Speaking to the church now. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. Do you understand as a, as a Christian this morning, do you really understand that how you live today and tomorrow, how you live in this life, the choices that you make now, the things that you do or don't do, the way that you spend your time, the way that you use your resources, the decisions that you make, they all have consequences in eternity. Do you understand that? They all have major consequences in eternity. Listen, if you get this, I promise you, this will change your life. If you come to understand it, you can't possibly live your life the same way. This judgment is very serious. It's very serious. It's a very important 
moment that has eternal consequence for his, for us in his kingdom. I promise you, church, you will want these rewards. God has determined these rewards and you will want every one of them. Every one. Listen, just, just, just hear what I'm saying to you this morning. I, I may not be getting it out as clear as what I hoped I could, but most Christians today take no thought whatsoever about this moment. They don't even think about this judgment. I know many Christians today who would listen to the first part of this sermon and they would rejoice just like we did. They would say, thank God I'm, no, I don't have to stand in that great white throne judgment. But when you begin to tell them about this judgment, they stop their ears up and act like it's never going to happen. But it is going to happen. And listen, they don't want to think about it. They've got this vision of heaven as if when they get there, just, I mean, just... Everything just melts away and, and all they get to ever get to feel is just happy all the time. My Bible says on this day, many will suffer loss even though they get to go to heaven. There's going to be regret on this day for those that have ignored this truth their whole life. It's, it's Christ that's seated on the judgment throne here. It's Christ. It's the Lord Himself, the Savior, the King of kings, the one who purchased you with His blood. He's the one that presides on the bench of this judgment. And He will evaluate the works of every believer. Every believer. Not only what you did, but why you did it what you did. It'll all be evaluated. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen. Each one's work will become clear. There'll be no question about it. The day, the judgment day, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But, thanks be to God, he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Do you, do you see it? Your works are going to be tested. You need to hear this scripture and consider it hard. We don't like to think of eternity in this context, but today we're confronted with the real truth. Many, many on that day, their works will be burned up and they'll suffer loss. They're going to suffer loss. They'll miss out on the rewards that they had every opportunity to earn And it'll matter. You can convince yourself all day long that it won't matter to you that, oh, well, I'll just skip right in. It'll be fine. I don't care if I get one reward or 100. You'll care.
in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I don't have this up there, Thomas. Paul, Paul is talking about these rewards, these crowns. You know what he said? He said, I discipline my body that I may bring it into subjection, lest what I have preached to others, I myself would become disqualified. Paul was worried about being disqualified from receiving some of these great rewards. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? I mean, I, you would think, I mean, I could sit here today and, and, and feel confident as I stand in this pulpit that there'll be not many people that's done for the kingdom of God what Paul's done. Yet he himself said, I don't want to be disqualified from any of these rewards. Uh, uh, John said this in, in, in 1 John, thinking the same way. Listen to how he described it. He said, Now little children abide in him that when he appears, in other words, when you stand before him, that you can have confidence and you won't have to be ashamed. Do you know that on that day there'll be a lot of Christians that are ashamed? They'll hang their heads in shame. He's come and I've done nothing. Remember the, remember the parable of the, uh, of the talents when, when the Lord was explaining about this very thing? And he said he gave some talents to, to people and he left. And when he came back, he asked what they'd done with the talents. And one guy said, well, I took the talents and I made ten talents out of it. And he was like, that's great. And another one said, okay, I took the talents and I made, I can't remember the number five talents out of it, I, maybe, I, I can't remember exactly. And he said, that's good. Another guy said, oh, I, you know, I, I, I know the master, he's a hard master, so I took the talent and I hid that talent. And he, and he, was, he was angry at that man. And he took his talent away from him and he gave it to the one that had ten and he said, you should have done something with this. Guys, you should do something with your life. For Christ. Not for yourself, but for Christ. Lay up something. I mean, I mean, there's all these treasures. I don't even know what they all are. But what I know is that God set up a system by which He's going to reward you for the works you do. And most of us will go with empty nothingness. Because we spend our whole life focusing on ourselves. Listen to me while I preach to you this morning. I'm not trying to be hard for heart's sake. I'm not trying to be mean to, to, to just to sound it. I just want you to get there. And when you get there, I want you to have confidence and not to be ashamed. I want you to stand boldly before the Lord and say, I thank God that the blood of Christ has cleansed me from sin and I spent my whole life. I gave it all. To serve you and to glorify you and to live for you and to please you. Not, not I lived it for me. You'll suffer loss. And I don't want any of us to suffer loss. So many Christians today live and they never even think about this reality. They never even think about it. I know I'm preaching a long time this morning. I'll try to end with just a few thoughts and then I'll be done. I don't know exactly how it will all work. 
but I believe we'll be rewarded by the motive of our work and the amount of our work. Did we do what we did for the Lord or did we do what we did so that men would pat us on the back and say, boy, you were a good servant of the Lord. Did you really want the glory for your efforts or did you want Christ to get the glory for your efforts? You have to weigh those things out today. So it's not just the amount of work you do, although that matters, I think. But it's, it's the motive behind the work that you do. It's, listen, I believe the scripture lays out for us, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, listen to what he says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is the way our lives should be lived, guys. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The things you do for God matter. They matter. God's not going to let them go to waste. God's going to reward you for them. So you can work with a great confidence that the, listen, the guy, and this is a bad analogy, but I'll say it this way. The person writing the check is good. The, I, I promise you that the work you do for the Lord, He'll reward you for it if you did it for the right reason. If you did it for Him and His sake, your labor is not in vain. It's not a waste. No matter, it doesn't matter if one person saved or one million people are saved because of what you did. It's not what your work outputs. It's the amount of work you gave to the Lord and it's the reason you were willing to do it. God determines the fruit it produces. But you have to labor. He tells us in other places, I didn't put them up there, but he says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season you'll reap a reward if you do not faint. The reward is coming. Just keep doing the right things. Keep working for the Lord. Listen, I, I want to be so clear this morning. These are good things. Reading your Bible is not working for the Lord. That's just getting to know the Lord. Praying is not working for the Lord always. There is a sense in which intercessory prayer is a work. But these things are things that we do. These are blessings to us. But what is your work for the Lord? What do you do for Him? I know what your work is in the secular world. Do you know how I know? Because you give yourself to it. But what's your work in the Lord? That's the things we got to ask ourselves. Remember what he said? He said, whatever we do, whatever, whatsoever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And listen to what he says. He said, do it unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord we shall receive the reward of our inheritance. For we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in another place in Corinthians 10, 31, he said, whatsoever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. Your life's purpose as a believer is to glorify God. Amen. To make Him known. To make Him known. That's why we read to you this morning, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Live in such a way, God, that you lay up treasures there, that it makes a difference. How you live today is determining the rewards you have in eternity. And I want you to see it, and I don't want you to be ashamed that he's coming. I want you to have full confidence when he appears. I want you to be like Paul and be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've run my race. I've finished it. Henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. I've been to the funeral home three times in the past few weeks. And I'll be there one day for you or you'll be there for me. When you die, I want you to be able to lift your hands and say, I have finished the race. Dad was talking to me yesterday about the book he's reading. A man tortured for Christ. And, and a, a man in a prison cell. And he shared that cell with another man. And they determined to beat that man to death. And what they did was they beat him for a little while. And then they would restore him to hell so they could beat him again. And they did this over a long span of time until eventually they beat him to death. And he said, and I didn't read it, but he, this is what Dad told me the book said. In the book it said, the man said, I watched him die in the cell with me. And as he died, he was praising the Lord. I want you as you die to be praising the Lord. I want you to say, I've got an inheritance to go to. i got a place. I've got something laid up there. I don't want you to look at your Christian life and say, I wish that I had done more for Christ. I want you to, I want you to be able to lift your hands up and say, I, I, I put my whole heart into it. Now I want to come home, Father. Now I want to come home. Enter in, let me enter into the joy of the Lord. I just want that for you so bad. Boy, you know, I want it for me too. I want you to serve the Lord with your whole heart and life. It's not a program. Christianity is not a program or a club or a little social thing. This is life, guys. This is it. What we're doing is the realest thing you're ever going to do in your whole life. What you do outside of those doors makes eternal difference for you. Spend it on what matters. You've got, I don't know how much time you have. I don't know. Moments, maybe. Minutes, hours, days, years, I don't know, but whatever time is left, pour into the Lord with all you got. Nothing that you are doing for this world will matter this day. Raise your family to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. Give it all you've got to raise kids that that love God with all their heart, pour into that. That's a good ministry. When you've got young kids, that's a great work. Do that for the Lord. Raise them up as arrows. The Bible calls them arrows in a quiver. Sharpen them up and raise them to go out and serve God. And when they go out, when they leave the, the home and you're freed up to be able to work, work. Give it all. If you've got an opportunity, I'm just giving you advice this morning. If you've got an opportunity to forsake it all and follow and go do a work for the Lord, forsake it all. You say, well, I don't. I, I have to live in an old, little old tiny house that ain't much. Live in it. Live in it, lay it, and rejoice and lift your hands up every evening as you sit on your little old dirty couch and throw your hands up and say, I've got an inheritance one day. 
And I'd give all of this world up for whatever the Lord has in store for me. Just go for it, guys. Go for it. I mean, go for it with all your heart. You will not regret it on that day. You won't regret it. People are dying all around us in their own day. They're going to stand before that great white throne judgment. And I don't want to stand before the Lord ashamed after lower my head and say, I could have reached them, but I was busy playing with my toys or watching my favorite TV show. Lord, I didn't have time because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I want to stand with great confidence and say, God, I, I did all I could do to reach and to reach those people's hearts. Amen. Stand to our feet. I'm about to get tore up. I don't know what your heart is today. Maybe just bow your head for a moment. and I don't have no big altar call planned, but uh, I just say this. I don't know your condition, but I know there's a great God who knows everything about you. And if you need the altar today, if you want to come and say, God, I, I, just, want to, I just want to dig in deeper and I just want to be closer to you and I just want to just want to live my life for you and I'm tired of living it for myself and I, I just want to go all in. If that's you today, then come pray and ask God that. If you're here and you're lost, listen, I don't know your heart. I don't know your condition. But I know this. If you're here and you're lost and you don't know God, if that day should find you and you have to get before that great white throne, there's no hope for you, friend, on that day. Christ will not be there as an advocate for you. But if you'll get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life now, if you'll give your life to Christ now, He'll save you. And you can spend the rest of your days laying up these treasures. And if you don't have the Lord, you better have it. Because death is coming for you. Just as, the, just as our brother David said in the Psalms that we read in Psalms 39, right? Age doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just listen. Just listen to what he said, how he said it. Just, just think about this for a moment. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you and I today. Make me to know my end and what the measure of my days is that I may know how frail I am. You're frail this morning, whether you want to admit it or not. Your days are just as a handbreadth. Your age is nothing. At your best, this life is a vapor. You're just walking around like a shadow trying to heap up riches and busy yourself. Don't you know, friend? There's only one hope. And David said, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Is your hope in the Lord this morning? If it ain't, come and seal it up and make it right. If you want to come and get down and say, God, I want to dedicate my life to you. Help me to get rid of some of these desires that I have that are opposite of your word. Then do that. We're getting ready to go to the Lord in prayer. I hope you got your heart where you want it to be. You can pray right where you are, and that's perfectly fine. God doesn't just hear a prayer up here. He hears it right there where you're at, too. Won't you just, everybody just sit right back down and just pray. Just sit right back down and pray and begin to seek the Lord. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, too. We can pray together.